Welcome to the All Souls Episcopal Parish in Berkeley's Sermon Podcast. Today is the second Sunday after Pentecost, and we hear from the Reverend Maggie Foote as she preaches from the lectionary, which was Matthew chapter 9, 9-13, and 18-26. to As always, you can find more information about All Souls or sermons by All Soulsians on our homepage, which is allsoulsparish.org. stories about Jesus come up in the lectionary on days that I'm scheduled to preach, I often find myself searching for a more transcendent meaning in them than just the physical healing of the person in question. I think that's because I myself have never witnessed or experienced a miraculous healing. Sure, I've heard of medical miracles here and there, the experimental breathing treatment that helped my friends survive into adulthood after being born 11 weeks prematurely the risky surgery that paid off in the end, or the effectiveness of certain cancer drugs against all odds, etc. But a true miracle, an instantaneous healing like the two we see in the gospel this morning? I've never seen anything like that. So in the past, I might have, and probably have, preached about today's scripture and focused on the fact that Jesus bestowed one of these healing miracles on the family of an elite religious leader, and the other onto a woman who has been marked as unclean and thereby descended to the bottom of the social hierarchy, and how that clearly shows that Jesus came to bring healing for all, and not for just the elite or the wealthy or the pious. Or I might have preached about how the healing of the hemorrhaging woman wasn't just a physical healing, but a restoration of the woman to community by removing the affliction that was causing her to be unclean in the eyes of her society, and therefore unwelcome in the synagogue and other communal places. I think I find myself looking for these symbolic meanings in the healing miracles of Jesus, because for every one person that Jesus heals, there are a thousand more that he doesn't. So maybe these stories are supposed to teach us something about the nature of the healing that God offers, and not so much concern us with the fact that it's only given to a select few, among the throngs and throngs of people that are in need of healing as Jesus passes by. Because among those crowds, there are surely more people in need of healing. There were surely more people clamoring to touch Jesus, calling out to him, but who couldn't get through, couldn't get close enough to be noticed. There were surely parents there whose children had died just the day before. There were surely other women who suffered from various illnesses, There were surely men whose demons kept them on the outskirts of the crowd, seemingly unnoticed by Jesus. There were surely children born with disabilities, adults who suffered injuries while working, and people whose loved ones died without the hope of an intervention from this mysterious rabbi passing through their town performing miracles. My understanding of human nature and my own experience tell me that many of those people while awed by the healing that has taken place, are also asking, why not me? Why didn't Jesus choose me? Why didn't Jesus save my child? Why was it my friend or parent or spouse who died while these others get to live? I know this because this is the question, the one thought that has predominated my thoughts this week. As my wife Andrea has left town to help care for the young children of a close friend of hers who died unexpectedly. Why did this have to happen? 
Why her? Why now when her children are so young? Why do other families get to share the news of a great miracle that saved their wife and mother while hers is planning a funeral? God, how could you let this happen? Where was our healing? Where was our miracle? I think I'm breaking about 100 rules of preaching right now, by the way. <laughs> Preach from your scars and not, their wo- not your wounds, they teach us. Practice calculated vulnerability. Share enough of yourself to be relatable, but not too much. <laughs> well, those are wise thoughts and I'm sure sound advice, but I just couldn't do it. Because the honest truth is that I'm struggling to find any good news this week. And when your job is to preach good news and you don't have any, that puts you in a bit of a pickle. (laughs) Ten years from now, in some other place, I might have good news to share about the things that have happened this week. Some story about how this tragedy catalyzed a change in medical testing for postpartum women, or some story about how the community rallied around a young man who suddenly found himself the single father of two young sons, or another story about how family relationships were mended in the aftermath of such a great loss. And maybe the seeds of those stories are being planted, even now. But that's the thing about seeds. When they are doing the real work of taking root and starting their journey to become plants, no one knows about it. No one is comforted by the seed pod bursting open underground and the first roots traveling down deeper into the soil. The hope comes later, when the plant breaks through the topsoil in search of light, and the evidence of new life emerges. That's not where we are right now. It's not where I am. But in the spirit of at least trying to do my job this week, I will leave you with this. Being mad at God, challenging God, Calling on God to account for the pain we are experiencing is a faithful response. While it might feel like, or at least sometimes feels like to me, that when tragedy strikes our lives, that getting mad at God means that our faith has been shaken or broken. But I don't think that that's how God sees it. What God wants more than anything is to know us and to be known by us and to love us through all of it. And when we hide our rage or our questioning or our desperation from God, we are not allowing ourselves to be known in our fullest. And we are depriving ourselves of an opportunity to know God in a new way too. Now, this is not an answer to the question of theodicy, of why evil and suffering exist in a world that was created by a God who is good. This is not an answer to why Jesus healed someone else and didn't heal my friend. This is not an answer to why Jesus could pass her by in her hour of need. But what it is, is an invitation, 
Welcoming God into our pain and casting our anger in God's direction is an invitation for God to be present in our lives in the worst moments. If for no other reason than just to see it, to see us at our lowest and at our most vulnerable. To be invited in by our hard questions and anger is the connection that God seeks because we believe in a God who doesn't shy away from the pain of the world. God willingly becomes a part of it through the incarnation of Jesus for no other reason than to know us and to be known and so that we might understand that God's love for us exists even in the same time and space as our deepest pain. I believe that our God is a God for whom nothing is impossible. Even the physical, spiritual, and communal healing of a woman who has known only isolation or the raising to life again of a little girl who had died. I do believe in a God who heals and performs miracles. But that doesn't, however, heal all the hurts of being a human being in this creation or answer all the questions when it feels like healing has passed us by. To be a faithful Christian is to hold in tension what I believe to be possible and what I experience to be true, even when it hurts. And trust that our God is big enough to hold all of it. Thank you.